welcome back to the Money Matters podcast. Today, I've got a special treat in store for you guys. We have another interview with the one and the only Luke Broyles. Today, we're going to talk about exponential technology, why nobody is bullish enough on Bitcoin, and why Bitcoin is actually the best hedge against either a destructive artificial intelligence or a constructive artificial intelligence. This one is an absolute jam-packed interview. Before we get into it, I just wanted to quickly thank today's show sponsors, who, of course, is the Strike app, Swan Bitcoin, and the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. You're going to hear more from those guys later on into today's episode, but without further ado, let's Let's get straight into this one with the one and the only Luke Bros. Okay, so I am thrilled to be chatting with one of the only Luke Broyles for the second time, I believe, in only two months. And most people are going to expect us to be talking about exponential technology. And, you know, Luke's a little bit of a hyperbole like myself. And we're going to get to all of that stuff later on in today's podcast. But I want to actually start today's rip somewhere in a little bit of a different place. Uh, in our recent podcast a month ago, uh, you were actually talking about the biggest risks uh, to humanity. So I think we talked about nuclear war. We talked about physical war. We talked about artificial intelligence. And I believe there was something else I have forgotten it. But uh, you did a really good interview recently with, uh, is his name Mark Harvey? I actually uh, forgot his name, but you guys were talking about AI. So let's start there, Luke. You guys talked about AI for about an hour. I would love to get your updated thoughts on uh, your thinking surrounding AI and Bitcoin. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, this, this has been great. Uh, we had a little trouble getting started, but I'm glad we are. I'm glad to be back. And uh, it's been great getting to know you both on and off camera. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, yeah, AI. Well, you know, I, I don't really have any new thoughts with that. But the funny thing is that with my thoughts, let's say, quote unquote, on Bitcoin technology, innovation, all that, it's like, you know, uh, the, the funny thing is that they don't really change that much mm. anymore. They've changed a lot in the last few years, but in the last year year and a half they've really not changed that much and that's largely because i've gotten a lot less specific with what i think will happen i, I try not to have specific time frames I, I try to have my view be evergreen let's say where it hopefully ages at least decently well <laughs> as well as it can let's say so so yeah my my thoughts on ai really haven't changed at all um yes yeah, so that was a conversation with mark harvey it's on my podcast uh we talked about tesla uh marks for those who don't know mark is an engineer uh, a formerly trained engineer, uh, schooling and all that. And he bought Tesla stock back in 2013, 2014, had conviction. You know, this was years before the, the massive surge in Tesla, like 2019, 2020, and onwards from there. So they, most of our conversation was about technology. It was about how he was, it was about how he knew to buy and how he knew that company was undervalued when the whole world thought he was crazy. And we spent a lot of time talking about what's the difference between crazy conviction and just being crazy. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, we, we talked about AI because obviously Tesla uh, stock and Tesla, the company, it's, it's becoming more and more of an AI company. There's a lot of artificial intelligence involved with that. It's a major buzz thing right now. And so we talked a lot about that, but no, I, I don't particularly have any new thoughts with that. It, it's just the same idea. What is that idea? It's that artificial intelligence is not, let's say its own consciousness. It's just, it's just machine. It's just, it's just the technology we make. And I think because I, I think there's a spectrum. I think there's some people over here that are, let's say the transhumanists that think that artificial intelligence is like humanity 2.0 and that it's better. 
and that it's going to take out, you know, and so there's that side. And there's the other side where people are completely dismissive of it and think it is just a buzzword. I think it is going away. It's irrelevant. I disagree with both of those things. Um, but I think because the AI enthusiasts tend to be a little too far in this spectrum, let's say, everyone else tends to ignore them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is one of the infamous things with Elon Musk as a specific example is that he says that the automatic driving is next year, next year, next year, always next year. And let's say he's a little too far to that end of the bill curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that people dismiss it entirely. And this was a big part of the conversation that you and I had last time, the conversation that Mark and I had about it's going to be a very long time, but then suddenly it'll just be here and mm-hmm. the world will suddenly not be the same. So that's that's really my view. <laughs> and I, I don't think that's going to change very much. I think AI is going to continue to be this thing that just simmers in the background, not much changes, not much changes, until suddenly an entire industry or an entire job or an entire way of doing things or an entire business model is just eradicated. And not all of them, not all at once, but one of them will just be gone. And then another one will just be gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so I think it happens stages with that and i think some things are orders of magnitude more difficult to change than others so those will take much longer and so i really i have no idea where to manifest first or how or you know but i i think probably probably the change is going to be very dramatic and probably it's going to start with white collar work i think and we'll just keep going from there i i think i think ultimately we are not ready and that's one of the things i always try to encourage people is that you know i Yes, I talk about AI. Yes, I talk about how Bitcoin's going to go up in price. I talk about these things. And yes, it's for engagement, so more people will look at it. But it's not untrue. Mm. It's not untrue. And I do believe it. I do think we're not ready. And I do think we have to say these absurd things so that in five years, when they sound a little less absurd, people actually pay attention to them. Because we are at the point now where things are changing so rapidly, so quickly, so consistently that our brains cannot keep up. And so it's becoming a more and more urgent importance that people start thinking about these things because the longer it takes for them to keep up, it's, it's just, it's only going to get more difficult for people to keep up. And so it's essential people start thinking about these things as trivial as it seems. It's like, you know, 90% of people aren't thinking about this at all. And 90% of people that are thinking about this are barely thinking about this. So if you give it just a few hours of thought and adjust your life in very minor ways, I think there are ways that could have massive compounding consequences into the future. Even if we don't know what, if, even if we don't know what those answers are, perhaps they'll manifest and perhaps they'll become self-evident in, in the coming future. And I don't go on with this answer, but a specific example for me personally has to do with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, I, bef- years before I understood Bitcoin, years before it was Bitcoin only, I, was fascinated by technology, was fascinated by innovation, fascinated by uh, artificial intelligence and other things, you know, just understanding the world, let's say. And I partially was because I'm just obsessively curious, but partially for exactly the reason I just said, that I knew that these things were going to have an impact on my life. I'm going to live through many of these things. And so I should probably just start thinking about it, you know, just for fun as a hobby. And, you know, I don't know the answers. I don't think anyone knows the answers, but those answers will probably become self-evident over time. And now looking back, that's exactly what happened for me when it comes to Bitcoin. I believe Bitcoin is the best hedge against artificial intelligence, both a destructive AI and a constructive AI, both against the worst case and the best case scenario 
I believe Bitcoin is the single easiest, best hedge for people in both those scenarios, whether AI is a net positive or net uh, negative on the world. I think AI is the best hedge. I can get more of that later if you want. But, but basically, for me, that's what's so frustrating when people don't think about this stuff, because it's... What, what if that doesn't happen for you? It takes years for people to think about AI. It takes years for people to understand how Bitcoin complements the negative externalities of AI. And if people aren't thinking about that, then that is not going to dawn on them uh, for a painful, a painfully long period of time. And so that, that's my encouragement for people is that even if you don't agree with me, even if you think I'm a little crazy or you think Luke's a little crazy or, <laughs> or whatever, it's, it's just, you know, start thinking about this, start encouraging people in your life to start thinking about this. You know, they won't come to all the answers. None of us have all the answers, but it's the, the, the only stupid people right now are those that are actively not paying attention. Those, mm -hmm. the, that's the only inexcusable thing. Yeah, I think there's some great thoughts. Um, and uh, obviously AI is one uh, one of the, you know, uh, rabbit holes adjacent to Bitcoin that I'm paying a lot of attention to because there are these big mega trends going on right now. There's obviously Bitcoin's coming to disrupt the money. AI is coming to disrupt the workforce. And I think another one worth paying attention to is the rise of the digital nomads. So there's 35 million digital nomads around the world today. I, I am one of them. And that is because governments are becoming more and more tyrannical. I think that's going to be the third big thing people People should be paying attention to i wanted to ask you luke i know you you're interested in black holes uh, i know you're interested in lots of other topics adjacent to bitcoin uh what's one of the the other interesting rabbit holes uh, that has caught your attention outside the bitcoin space well I, first of all that 35 million digital nomad thing that's quite the statistic mm. <laughs> that's that's fascinating we were just talking before the call so i'm more or less a digital nomad myself at least right mm. now i probably won't be for much longer Thankfully, I, I've enjoyed it, but I'm ready to be done. Um, mm. <laughs> but and, and my laptop is currently dead. So for Digital Nomad, that is very painful. <laughs> it's an essential. <laughs> yes, it's an essential. It's like, oh, my life. <laughs> but and, and, and I'll answer your question. But it, it's a funny thing. You know, 20 years ago, it's, it's that would be completely unimaginable. But it's mm. like, yeah, we're already at the point where we had this digital device. And for 35 million people, like you just said, which is a lot of people, mm. it's like if that thing dies, it's like just so much pain. Um, e even when you save your files, even when it's not a huge expense, it's, just, it's, it's mm. fascinating how rapidly this technology has changed our lives for us 30, for 35 million digital nomads and the other 300 million or whatever that use computer or billions that use computers. Same thing with AI. Uh, so anyway, that's just a funny anecdotal thing uh, to compliment that. But yeah. Um, yeah, black holes. I I love. I, I find I find black holes fascinating. I find entropy fascinating. Uh, physics. It, it's it's the funniest thing. There, there are so many clips of physicists and engineers talking about how people should study physics because it changes your way of thinking. It changes your mindset. And I never studied physics because of that reason. I never was like, oh, I want to learn from first principles and I'm going to study black holes now. So it, like it never had that. It's just like you know, this rabbit hole of, oh, it's fascinating. And the more you learn, the more fascinated you are back and forth indefinitely. And, uh, but now looking back, yeah, I, I can see definitely how physics and an appreciation of physics and astronomy really has given me a new perspective on math, a new perspective on technology and a new perspective of why I think Bitcoin is unique among other financial instruments out there. And I think perhaps there's a case to be made that for traditional finance folks and for people that are viewing money through, let's say, a political lens or let's say only historical lens, 
um, I, I think they have a significant disadvantage there because they don't have that mindset. And and the fascinating thing is that the, the very first people, there were economists and monetary folks that predicted Bitcoin, but the very first people that predicted it were physicist types, engineers types. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously Tesla and uh, Ford. I was at Niagara Falls recently. I went to the Canadian Bitcoin conference, first ever, first annual. Uh, wonderful trip, wonderful time. And I spent three or four hours at Niagara Falls because just had to. And there's a statue of Nikola Tesla there. And it's just, you know, there's this little plaque by Tesla statue where they just list out all the things that he contributed to in his career. And, you know, of course, engineering and everything like that. But it's just, you know, the one thing that's not listed on there, that's perhaps the most forward thinking is that about Bitcoin and that Mm. Tesla predicted that eventually we would find a way to have a form of warfare that didn't require bloodshed, something without screws or something that wasn't analog. But, you know, basically the word we have today for that is digital. And that it's just, it's just mind blowing how, how that simple perspective shift of a subject that you, you think has no use in the real world. It's like, I, I enjoyed learning about physics. I thought there's no way I'll ever monetize this. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not enough of a math nerd or math genius to be able to explain this to someone that's actually going to pay for it. And, um, you, you know, it's, it's like, there's infinite number of videos out there. Right? So it's like, no way I ever mind. Like I was learning just purely out of curiosity, but now it's like, wow, what if perhaps learning about physics and black holes was one of these things that, directly or indirectly or both uh, has helped me understand monetary reality years before my peers years mm. before the rest of the world. And it's like, wow, how do you put a price on that? So yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, I, I could talk about uh, black holes and entropy all day. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I want to bore your listeners about that. They probably just want to hear about Bitcoin number go up, but they probably uh, but yeah. do. But, but yeah, it's fascinating. Why? Because it deals with probabilities. It deals mm. uh, with, with gravity and energy and absolutes. And it's everything is counterintuitive. And I think that understanding of how these very real things are counterintuitive, I think, applies to Bitcoin and helping mm. people understand that in so many ways, Bitcoin is hard to understand because it completely subverts your expectations. And it's the same thing with, with reality. It's the same thing with physics. It's the same thing with most sciences. That thing you expect to be true Sometimes it's true, but in, when you look then on a level down, it's the complete opposite of what you think. And mm-hmm. then you look down further and then that makes sense. But then this other thing doesn't make sense. And it's, it's the same thing with, with Bitcoin. People have a hard time understanding that prices are coming down in terms of Bitcoin. And that's hard to understand because we're looking from a worldview where that's not the case. Uh, and understanding how with every other asset known to man, you are outsourcing responsibility to others. But with Bitcoin, it's the only asset that you have full responsibility of. So that's hard to understand on a practical level, but then it's hard to understand why it's actually better. Um, and then also, of course, you have the computer science and the, you know, the necessity of prime numbers and everything else associated with Bitcoin. Uh, specifically, that's on a technical level, hard for people to understand. So, so yeah, on the economics front, on the monetary front, on the technical level, mathematical level, you know, all these things, it's hard for people to understand that. But perhaps the one thing that's most essential for people to understand is the significance of the having. You know, when... Mm-hmm. when when you're used to thinking about black holes, you, you, for example, 
with black holes, you range from primordial black holes to, and I hope I'm not boring you, but you know, you you, you range from the, the yeah from, from the subatomic ones to the ones that are you know tens of billions of solar masses large, are just absolutely gargantuan, like multiple times larger than our entire solar system. And most people really don't understand how large the entire solar system is. So it's just you have to think about scaling anything in the universe, black holes, stars, uh, atomic structures you know you have to think about everything in in logarithmic scales you know you in orders of 10 and most people when they look at bitcoin they look at the having or whatever they aren't thinking that way they're still thinking nominal terms but if you're used to understanding and and sitting in awe about the true size and magnitude of certain things on a logarithmic scale then the absolute scarcity of bitcoin really starts to set in you know right now uh there's six, what is it, 6.25 uh, Bitcoin block reward. Um, and then that gets halved next year, 2024, but then it gets halved again and again and again and again and again indefinitely. Um, eventually to, you know, as other people say, 37 sats is generational wealth. <laughs> because that's, that's the block reward that time. And that's decades before the, the subsidy is over. So it's, it's I, I'm kind of going on in circles here, but it's just so difficult to explain to people the true scarcity of Bitcoin because so many people their entire lives are thinking in linear terms and thinking in terms of what they can see, feel, and touch. And the reality of the world is that most of it we can't touch. It's either a lot larger or a lot smaller. And if you're not used to thinking in those two realms, the tiny or, or the massive, it's harder to understand a immutable issue at schedule that goes from being super massive to super tiny. Mm. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but it's it's, it it's fascinating. If you're loving today's chat with the one and the only Luke Broyles as much as I am, I wanted to quickly interrupt today's episode and let you all know that we did a detailed breakdown of all of the topics we discussed in today's chat in our Substack. You can check that one out, linked below. It's free. Give it a read. We do them weekly and we cover all sorts of different topics in the Bitcoin space. And I also wanted to let you know about some of the amazing show sponsors. So if you're a beginner out there or you know a beginner out there, we'd love to point you towards the Strike app. The Strike app is going global and you can send money instantly anywhere around the world with very, very, very low fees. So if you use the link in the description of today's shows, you will actually be able to get $10 of free Bitcoin. So we definitely recommend you check out Strike. If you're a little bit more of a seasoned Bitcoiner and you're simply looking for somewhere that's going to let you DCA Bitcoin on a nice, safe Bitcoin only platform, we recommend you check out Swan Bitcoin. Again, they're going to give you $10 of free Bitcoin if you sign up with the link in the description of today's show notes. And if you are looking to put that Bitcoin somewhere, okay, once you buy it on an exchange at a strike or a swan, we do recommend you self-custody your Bitcoin. So we recommend the great Bitcoin-only hardware wallet, the BitBox O2. You guys can get started with a BitBox O2 in under five minutes. It's very quick. It's very easy. This is why we like the BitBox O2 hardware wallet. There's a number of great options out there in the space, but this one is the easiest to use for a beginner. So if you know a beginner or you are a beginner, we recommend you check out that one and you guys can get 5% off if you use the promo code CB5. So that stands for Coin Beast 5. And with all that said, let's get back into today's chat with the one and the only Luke Broyles. It was a brilliant answer. Uh, you opened up the, so the many world, different... The world is so beautiful and so complex. It's 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 perpetually fascinating. Yeah. It, 
It is. The space rabbit hole is one I haven't delved all the way down yet. I've kind of gotten to the the edge of the rabbit hole and realized just how little we are in this uh, universe. That's about all I've discovered. Uh, But it's certainly one I want to explore later. And it kind of makes sense that, you know, these first principle thinkers who are interested in maths as well as engineering, they all stumble upon Bitcoin because Bitcoin is first principles thinking. And you mentioned someone there uh, Tesla, who is obviously a first principles thinker. And I wasn't, did not plan to have this on the docket uh, in today's chat with you, but I recently recorded a video on Tesla uh, just last week. So I, I, I'm going to call it, you know, the five people who predicted Bitcoin five decades ago. So we have uh, Tesla, Henry Not Ford. longer than that. Yeah, yeah. Tesla's in the 1890s. Uh, I think his paper was published in 1900 yes. exactly. Yes. Uh, but- the, the paper, what is it? Problem increasing human mm. energy. That that's that's paper or one of the papers he wrote. It's the first paper he wrote that references Bitcoin or what today we would call Bitcoin. That was 1900. So yeah, 1890s is when he was yeah. probably thinking about it. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> 18 1890 sounds much better on a thumbnail, Luke, as opposed to the year 1900. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So we have Tesla, Ford, then Milton Friedman, um, and I'm going to, Frederick Hayek, and I'm going to stretch the truth a little bit um, and use Friedman and the Sovereign Individual book because they're in the 1990s. They're not uh, 50 years no, ago. They're yeah, only- yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, like the invention of energy money is such a revolutionary idea. And it's just, it's absolutely wild uh, that Tesla was literally thinking about these things uh over a hundred years ago, like you always talk about the fact that most people cannot envision just how transformative today's technology is, but Tesla was one of those people. Uh, so maybe I, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about uh, Nikola Tesla. now that you've brought him up, um, let's talk about energy money and uh, Tesla a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So, so why, why do we keep coming back to this? It's, it's because if you're going to predict anything in the world, if you're going to make any prediction future that the whole scientific method is based on rep- replicability you have to be able to replicate results and it is crucial that in that you have to have constants you have to have units that are reliable dependable and absolute you know and, and this is why many of the greatest scientific both discoveries and new platforms for future discoveries are based on finding constants so constants of length constants of mass constants of energy you know e equals mc squared you know all these things are are essential you know again going to the black hole thing you know the einstein general relativity you know that is a massive game changer you know it unleashed like a whole new wave of discovery and it was extremely controversial um at the time you know or or if we think about the meter stick or if we think about uh, the the plank length or or the kelvin for temperature you know you can't measure the temperature of anything you can't measure the length of anything you can't you can't explain to someone anything without having some sort of constant, you know, in black holes. How do we measure that? We measure it in solar masses. You know, how do we measure distances in our solar system? We measure them astronomical units, the 93 million miles uh, between the sun and the earth or, or you know, kilometers, if, if that's your thing. Uh, then the point there being that those constants are essential. And the reason that Tesla, the reason that for the reason that these other people predicted Bitcoins because they understood that up to this point in human history, we have discovered more constants, we've discovered more mathematical truths about the universe, about chemistry, about physics, whatever, but we have not yet found a mathematical constant to explain and describe value to one another. 
And so all we've had to do is compare things with an exchange rate. It's like saying, how long do you want your boat to be? Well, let's have it be, you know, a hundred cubits or whatever, or or hundred lengths uh, of your arm or whatever. And that works and that's great. And it's good enough for an ancient society because let's say 90% of men, you know, have a similar length of their arm, you know, with varying a couple inches. It's like if you give everyone on your crew, you know, the same description of whatever, you know, the, the, the exchanges are relevant. It's just as long as people have, have that, it's good enough for them. But if you want to upgrade to the modern world where you're building a skyscraper, like you, you can't you can't operate in that world without a constant. And so that's that's the significance of Bitcoin, is that it is the first and very likely the only mathematical constant we have invented that can describe value across both space and time. And, and that sounds a little cultish. That sounds a little absurd to people that haven't put in the work or haven't at least heard the argument. But really all math is both a discovery and invention. You know, we kind of invent the math, but we also discover the math and we, we have ways of describing things. But really with Bitcoin, the, significant, the significance is not 21 million. The significance is not the number itself. The significance is mathematical scarcity. It doesn't matter if it's 21 million or 42 million or 84 million. The, the important thing is that we have to invent an equation, let's say, that is scarce, so that it's a that so is scarce and that never changes. In that scarcity, the scarcity never dilutes, and the scarcity never becomes more scarce. Which means that you can then use that to price in everything else and, and communicate value um, everywhere else. It doesn't matter how long your meter stick is; it just has to be consistent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, meter stick, for example, you know, based on the uh, let's see, what is it the is latitude or longitude? Anyway, it's 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 based on part of the circumference of, of the earth or other units to measure, you know, like say speed of light, C. You know, these things don't matter as long as we have it consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, speed of light is uh what 299 uh sounds about right. no, yeah, two hundred and ninety-nine million meters per second. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how many meters, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the speed of light obviously is constant, but the number we ascribe to that mm. is irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether we say that's one meter or that's 299 million meters like we say it is. It just has to be exact and it has to be precise. Mm. So in the same way that the speed of light is constant and humans can't influence that, but we have to ascribe a number to it, which is 299,792,458 meters per <laughs> second. We, we have to ascribe a number to it. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin, that we have to find informational digital abstract conceptual scarcity and we have to assign a number to that and that's what bitcoins and that number happens to be 21 million uh, and that we're like okay there's 21 million bitcoins really there's 2.1 quadrillion satoshis um but that that's that's how that's why they could foresee it so clearly it's because they understood we have to find a communications mechanism for value and that is a form of scarcity that is outside control of any, anyone that is enforced with energy because you can't print infinite energy into existence. And so the only way to secure that scarcity is to have its self-defense mechanism, let's say, be an infinite energy print button. And mm -hmm. nobody can do that unless they were God themselves. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm trying, I guess I'm answering multiple things here. I'm, I'm explaining 
Bitcoin is that constant, but then also once you view it that way, it becomes so obvious how they were able to see it. It's because mm -hmm. they spend their whole lives with all these constants mathematically, and then they look at the economy and they're like, well, this is archaic. This is ancient. Mm -hmm. we're, we're measuring things with just exchange rate. You know, we're just using gold, which is, is, happens to be the metal most closely resembling a constant. It's, it's the same thing when you tell people to use their arm to measure things. It's like, we don't have a mathematical constant. And so we're just going to go to the closest thing. What's the closest thing? The arm is a closest thing because we all have it. It's roughly the same. And it's the best we can do given our current level of technology. It's been the same thing with gold. Gold is the closest thing to digital scarcity that we've had. And yeah, it's not digital. It's not like fiat. It's not like numbers in your bank account. But gold has that infinite energy hedge against it. It has that block where you can't just print an infinite amount of gold. You can't print an infinite amount of political currency units. So even though gold is not the most closely related to digital scarcity because it's analog, it is much more closer in that it takes energy to produce. And so for thousands of years, gold has been the closest to that. And the only thing that will demonetize gold is that digital scarcity. Bitcoin is that. And if we're correct about that, you can't do it twice. It's only going to happen once. In the same way, we only discovered electricity once. In the same way, we have only one internet protocol. It's the same thing. Every, everything of the internet is going to be built atop of the current internet as we know it today. The same mm -hmm. thing with Bitcoin. You know, all the innovation is probably going to be built atop Bitcoin. Very, very unlikely to be built outside of it. And so that's that's the aha moment for people is they realize, wait a second, if Bitcoin is the first discovery of a mathematical constant for economic value, well, then all economic values should trend towards that in the same way that all units of measure trend towards the unit of measure that is the most immutable, the most reliable, the most consistent, and the most universal. Well, it should be the same thing with economics. And so that's, that's what we're seeing today. We have the Bitcoin world, we have the rest of the world. And I believe all economic value is just going to keep shifting uh, towards towards that constant. And how do you price that in terms of this? It's like you can't, you know, how do you price the value of the speed of light in terms of arms? It's like, you know, it's it's, it's nonsensical, not not how many arms are, are, are in that link, but it's, it's like, how do you describe the value of that? The value to society is so much more because finally you could build stuff that you can't build on an archaic ancient alchemy of exchange rates of random things. For the first time, we can actually build stuff. Big deal. It's a beautiful, beautiful big deal. And it's uh, not many people in the Bitcoin space talk about it. I interviewed uh, CK Snarks, who uh, I believe is one of the few people who actually understands <laughs> uh, Bitcoin and exponential uh, functions uh, in the in the entire space. So you, got, you obviously got Knut's Fun Home and there's a few others, but uh, uh, Peter Dunworth is another one uh, from Australia. But <laughs> CK calls uh, Bitcoin the metric system of value. And like, that's exactly... That's that's what a good is. phrase. That's a good, that's mm. why I have to steal that. That's really yeah. good. You'll be <laughs> both. Value. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm an American, so I'll get a lot here for this perhaps from my fellow Americans, but it's like, you know, the, the imperial system versus the metric, the metric system makes so much more sense. You mm. add zeros, you take away zeros, you know, in the U S how long is a mile, you know, mm. quarts and gallons, you know, our volume, our length, our temperature, everything is arbitrary. And that's fine if it's arbitrary, it just has to be consistent, but it's so much better just to have it be metric and absolute and based on 
the speed of light or base you know it, it's it's better to have it be based on something like the earth or the circumference of the earth and it's even better to have it be based on speed of light you know because that changes even less than the circumference of the earth and the earth changes significantly less than what humans decree is the length or the temperature of something so yeah well, now you're going to have to become a digital nomad because your fellow Americans are going to want to kick you out of the country for oh. saying that blasphemy about the metric system. Yeah, yeah. No, they'll, they'll kick me up for other reasons first, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> they will for holding Bitcoin. Now, Luke, that's probably a good transition because I wanted to actually ask you about the first Bitcoin Canadian conference that went down recently. I believe you were talking at that. So I would love to ask you, uh, how was it? How were the people there? How big was it? And uh, who do you think had the best talk and you can't say yourself? Now, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't the most recent one. It was the first one. And everyone was very happy about that. And I think it's just amazing how early we are. And sometimes I forget that, but it's like, wow, this is the first Canadian. This is the first Bitcoin only conference in Canada <laughs> and I got to speak at it so it was quite the honor um, it it was it was good there was good attendance there were like three or 50 people I think the, uh, the pictures didn't really show it very well because there were too many chairs and a lot of people were hanging out in the lobby all the time but, but yeah it, it was great energy uh, great energy a lot of folks uh, mostly men of course but a lot of a lot of young guys like you and me a lot of guys with families uh, a lot of women too people in the education sphere, business sphere, money geeks, nerds like us. So yeah, it was, it was a great mix of people. Uh, a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians, and that was pretty much it um, with a few exceptions. But yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, I spoke about CBDCs. The, my, my speech is online on YouTube. If you're watching us, you can look it up. It's like 20 minutes long or so. People really loved it. Uh, some people said it was their favorite of, of the conference, which was a surprise to me because there were so many great conversations. But there, there, were, there, were, many, there were many good panels. Uh, the two that stand out to me were one about nuclear energy. I didn't hear all of it, but from what I heard, it was just super fascinating. That's one of the things that I find a great deal of interest in. And so they were talking about nuclear energy in general and its use in Canada, Canada's advantage when it comes to nuclear energy. And then as well as uh, what Bitcoin could do in that space too, uh, when it comes to nuclear energy and mining and everything of that sort. And the other one that stood up to me was the uh, talk, of course, with Larry Lapard and Greg Foss. You know, they're just entertaining. Half of it is what they're saying, but half is just how they present it. Uh, the guy next to me and I were betting on how many F-bombs they would drop in their presentation. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, and just their slides were good. And it's, it's all the same thing. It's everything that they talk about online. Uh, nothing particularly new or revealing. It's just the passion that people have there. There are a lot of people there I don't agree with. In fact, probably most people there don't agree on many things. But we all have come to view again bitcoin is this mathematical constant and we see the value of that we see the applications for that and we're passionate about that because for the first time we can accurately measure temperature we can accurately measure length we can build stuff we can do stuff that we weren't able to before with that and so yeah the energy was great everyone was excited and it's it was a lot of fun meeting people that you know many of them was the first bitcoin conference because they couldn't afford to go to miami or, or other places do travel and lodging and ticket costs, but that's the beauty of these conferences that they're able to go to people, meet people where they are, and foster a little bit more community, and that's that's an exciting thing.
Yeah, in-person talks, uh, they really are superior. Maybe Pete McCormack is uh, onto something there with his live in-person interviews. Yeah, but- no, yeah, they're, they're definitely better. I mean, mm. obviously we're doing a Zoom right now, so I'm not hating on it, but, mm. you know, in-person is always better. Yeah. Mm. 100%. Uh, yeah, so the in-person interviews are definitely better. They certainly give you more conviction as well. And I want to actually circle back to something we were talking about at the beginning of the chat when we were talking about artificial intelligence and uh, your interview with Mark. We are talking about crazy conviction. And I think we are both in a similar boat. Uh, I think we have a fair chunk of our net worth in Bitcoin. So we have our monetary conviction, but we've gone the extra mile. So we're actually trying to denominate all of our time in the Bitcoin space. So Luke, I want to ask you about your transition trying to get more into the Bitcoin space. And you are currently making a movie uh, about Bitcoin. So I want to learn a little bit more about the case for Bitcoin and how is all that coming along? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, it, it's coming along very well. Uh, it's It's been very meaningful. Uh, you asked a couple of things there. Mm. You asked about my transition to that and conviction. And I, I would say like anything, it takes time. It took a long time for me to build that conviction. And again, circling back, I think that's why it's important people start hearing these arguments and learning about these things so that in three years, five years, eight years, when it becomes a little more urgent. They've at least heard the argument once or twice. So they know the basics of it. They know where to go from there. You know, if, if you wait eight years or five years or 10 years and you don't learn anything or you don't even hear out different people's vantage points, it's like, it's going to be so overwhelming. And frankly, it's a little overwhelming now as it is because things change so quickly. And so, yeah, again, that's just the urgency of people is that, I, I never tell people to go all in Bitcoin uh, when they're first starting out. In, in fact, probably never um, is a, a good idea. Well, it's probably not the worst idea in the world. <laughs> um, but people should never go all in because if, if they're buying Bitcoin without understanding what it is or its significance or the risks or the benefits, then they'll just sell when it goes up or down in exchange with the US dollar or their political currency of choice. They'll, they'll just sell out of either panic or greed you know, sell it agreed because it went up and they think they made a profit and so they'll sell, which in reality they're losing profits. But again, comes back to counterintuitive. You're viewing a black hole from the lens of human thinking. It's like, doesn't work that way. You know, Bitcoin is this math-based system. And if you don't, if, anyway, you know, so again, going back to that being counterintuitive and, and people not giving it the time, you know, if, if people are trying to rush their Bitcoin education, they'll just hurt themselves. And so that's why it's important people start learning. They get off zero first, as in they get off zero in time, they start putting in time to learn about it, and they get off zero in allocation. They take half a percent or one percent or whatever they feel comfortable with and go from there. Um, and then eventually, like myself, they'll realize what the heck, why do I have money anywhere else? Put it in Bitcoin. You know, I mean, you know, look, look at me. It's like I got off zero. I learned more. The more I learned, the more conviction I had, the more conviction I had, the more I realized, you know, I should hear the counter argument in case my conviction is actually not conviction, but delusion. Mm. And then you hear the opposing argument, you realize that they're delusional and you're like, okay. <laughs> and, and, and you just go from there. And it's just a feedback loop of, wow, this is an even bigger deal than I thought. Okay. Well, what's the opposing argument? Wow. The opposing argument is really idiotic. It makes absolutely no sense. Even if I'm wrong about this, I know that's not. So 
perhaps this probability has gone up and it's just it's just a feedback loop and that's how people get to have it surly high allocations to bitcoin yourself included myself included michael saylor you know multi-billionaire for 30 years included larry fink is the world's largest asset manager and he went on national television yesterday the day before recording this saying yeah bitcoin's international asset people can use it and instead of gold you know you know digital gold blah 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 it's like he is five years ago he called bitcoin an index of money laundering and now in that short period of time in five years you have the world's largest asset manager on live television telling people that bitcoin is this kind of like risk-off asset in a world where three of the four largest banking failures in american history have occurred this year in 2023 and they had very high bond allocations bonds are in a lot of trouble uk pension fund market was hours away from implosion late last year now the market's pricing in a higher probability of destruction as as of this week you know bonds aren't what they used to be and well the risk on bonds is not what they used to be the bonds have always been the same thing it's just that the promises are starting to run out and that's not some libertarian mumbo jumbo of oh let's just collapse the state you know and the fed blah 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 whatever it's just no it's just basic math that humans are incentivized to distort a system to their advantage and eventually the math catches up with reality and it takes years it takes decades and this particular instance we've had about 80 years post-world war ii we've had the first global economy the first global society america has led the way we've benefited as a reserve asset we print dollars we export them we get free stuff in return you for example you're not in the united states i'm in the united states i benefit at your expense essentially because we can print dollars buy raw materials from central america or the middle east wherever I mean, it, and it's so obvious to people it's like why do we go to war over oil why do we go to war or with other nations it's because we have to we have mm-hmm. to enforce that because if we stop that if we're if we're able if someone else is able to stop us from printing money to buy raw resources from other nations that's a really big problem and we're at the point in this 80 year time period after world war ii 40s 50s 60s up and up and up the 70s 80s, 90s things begin to decline from a monetary perspective and you know now we're to the point where things are unraveling quickly and so i'm kind of going all over the place here but when it comes to conviction it's just that simple that it's just reading history. It's just understanding incentive structures. And history says that humans will always follow the incentive structure that is in their own best interest, especially when you have hundreds of trillions of dollars of equivalent value behind those incentives. It's exactly the same thing today. The problem is not Democrats or Republicans. The problem is not corporations or politicians. The problem is that our incentive structure is that we are able to manipulate the equation, let's say, of economic value we're able to do that you know our, again our length of arm we're able to manipulate by picking people that have longer arms or shorter arms you know it's like you know let's say let's say we're in the ancient world you hire me to build a ship for you going back to that metaphor and you say oh i want it let's say 100 cubits long let's say a cubit is the length of an arm I have the incentive to go out there and find the smallest person I can mm-hmm. with the shortest arm possible to build you the smallest ship possible. That's my incentive. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, everyone's going to do that. Everyone's going to manipulate the lengths of things depending on the length of arm. Or, you know, everyone's going to do everything they can to distort that. And so that's what we have today. We have a political system where every country decrees its own 
unit of value, its own equation of value, let's say, its own mathematical constant within that political regime. This is our constant. This is what we use. And then they distort that. They pick the people with the shorter arms or the longer arms based on what is most advantageous to them. And they manipulate that. And what do you have? You have boats that sink more often. You have boats that are more dangerous, that aren't as valuable. You have a constant rate of decay and inefficiency of destruction in society. And so that's, that's what's happening here. And so when it comes to conviction and all that, that's a conviction. The conviction is that absolute scarcity is more valuable than quasi-finite scarcity. And that's really sugarcoating it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's going back to my presentation I made in Canada. How do you price truth in terms of a lie? How do you price reality in, in terms of a matrix? How do, you, how do you price the real world in terms of computer simulations? How do you price electric energy in terms of political energy? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it, they're incompatible. So that's that's the conviction there is that the more you learn, the more you realize why Bitcoin is that thing, the more you realize Bitcoin's strength, the more you realize Bitcoin's lack of weaknesses, its lack of risks, then you just realize why on earth would I buy anything else? Why would I buy a ship made from people that could adjust the length of measure on a whim? Why would I buy corporate equity? Why would I buy stocks? Stock valuations are forced to be pressed higher and higher and higher. Tech stock valuations just keep getting more and more absurd year over year. And because they have to, that's the incentive for us to do. We have every incentive on the individual level, the corporate level, the political level, we have every incentive to lower interest rates as much as possible, create as much debt as possible, print as much currency as possible, and prop up valuations as much as possible, because that has everything that, that benefits those that hold the assets. Mm. And so if we find a way to take humans out of that loop, it's just inevitable that economic energy trends towards that and people say oh well the government will never allow it you know the politicians they'll never allow it the corporatists they'll never allow it it's like it's not about that it's now in everyone's own incentive it's everyone's own self-interest to adjust to that to leave the lie go to the truth to leave the distortion and go to the constant it's like it's in everyone's self-interest yeah they can slow it yeah they can spread lies about it. Yeah, they can spread propaganda about it. And that's part of why Bitcoin is so confusing people to understand is because there's so much propaganda against it. Why? Because there has to be. There has to be negative incentive. They have, you know, from the media and politicians, they have to hate it. And, I, and, and <laughs> let's think about financial advisors for a second. I have talked to dozens of financial advisors that are anti-Bitcoin, pro-Bitcoin. You know, I've talked to many over, over the last couple of years, but especially the last eight months or so. And this is one of the things people don't understand. All the financial advisors, as a generalization, most of the financial advisors that I've talked to that are pro-Bitcoin are leaving financial advisory roles mm. because they're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't charge my clients 1%, 2% every year, tell them to buy stocks and bonds and that they'll be okay. I can't do it because I don't believe it. I don't believe bonds are as safe as they used to be. I don't believe stocks are as safe as they used to be. And so I don't under, I cannot sleep at night. And so I left. I've talked to financial advisors that leave literally in an afternoon just because they can't deal with the implications or others that are still there, but are talking about leaving or others that are still there, but on the side, they're building their own things so that they can leave. And so you think about that. What, what's going to happen here over the coming years is that you're going to have this continued bifurcation. As, as I've said before, and I said earlier, this bifurcation will continue to happen. It's an 
every financial advisor's own self-interest to leave this, this the, the current model where bonds are required, stocks are required because they have to be and go this other way. And so you're going to have this world where people, the, the, the bifurcation get only more dramatic. The only mm. financial advisors left, the only economists left, the only politicians left within the traditional model will become more and more absurd. The politicians have to become more extreme. The politicians, I mean, you know, now we have this news story of cocaine being in the White House and, you know, mm. who knows where that came from, you know, doesn't matter. Point is, it's like the politicians are getting more crazy. It's the same thing there. The ones that are left have to get more insane because the incentives require it to become more insane because you have to be catering to a lower and lower denominator and more and more emotion and less and less logic. You have to do that because if if you allow voters to come back to reason, they will reason you out of office and they'll just the whole thing will fall apart. And so anyway, conviction, it, it just comes down to understanding incentives and it comes down to understanding that there is no other way. Money's information. And when you're distorting information, the misinformation has to get worse. The insanity has to get worse. You know, the, the supply chains have to become more distorted. And it's not because there's a secret room of reptilian elite that are like trying to, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's just basic incentives. And humans will always follow incentives. And over the last 80 years, we have this incentive structure. And this is this is the consequence we're facing of that. And so so yeah, that, that comes back to the movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'm making this movie. It's called The Case for Bitcoin. People can find it on my Twitter profile, but especially Geyser. Geyser is basically like the Kickstarter of Bitcoin, where it's an uncensorable uh, kind of Kickstarter, let's say. People find mm -hmm. projects they find value in. Uh, you can also find my movie on GoFundMe, which is censorable. But mm -hmm. if you don't have the Coin Lightning address or it's too much for you, you, know, you can donate on GoFundMe as well. Uh, but basically the vision of the film is to describe this, is to explain incentive structures in a way that the problem of our current incentive structure becomes so obvious to people that the solution that is a better incentive structure becomes obviously notable and people will leave it wondering how on earth did I ever not see this? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, I think that's the problem is that it's so easy for us Bitcoin nerds to shout at people, oh, blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. Or, oh, mining, or, oh, proof of work, or, oh, you know, 21 million. It's just, blah. It's, it's, it's overwhelming for people. It, it, it's like, it, you can't explain it to people in that way. It's like, take artificial intelligence. It's like, you're not going to help people understand how to protect themselves against AI by shouting at them a whole bunch of technical jargon. It's like, you have to, you have to explain the fundamental change that this is going to occur, and then they can extrapolate up from there. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. You have to explain Bitcoin is significant because it's a fundamental change in the incentive structure of communicating value in society. You know, you're no longer incentivized to hoard assets and spend money. You're now incentivized to hoard money and spend and spend assets. We say that again, counterintuitive people, but then you're like, oh, wait, that's a good thing because we're hoarding housing, we're hoarding food, we're hoarding energy. And millions of people every single year are needlessly dying because they're forcing energy prices and housing costs up indefinitely every single year, as well as the cost of education, as well as the cost of healthcare, as well as the cost of everything else. It's like it, that's what we're doing. We're in this ancient world where we're measuring votes with lengths of arms and we're forcing prices up indefinitely to keep our yield on the bond market. And it's not, and, and this you mentioned you mentioned those earlier, like CK or, or others that are like the hyperbulls, let's say, like you or me. It's like the people that make no sense to be on Mario, the ones that are like, oh, Luke, yeah, I'm bullish Bitcoin, but he's not that bullish. It's like, no, there's no, there's no middle ground. 
either this incentive structure is what we think it is or it's not. If it's not, it's going to zero just because it's worthless or it's the incentive structure that's dominant will take over. It, like the, the fiat system is not going to collapse because the Bitcoiners are like, yeah, let's have it collapse. It's, some of them are like that, but that's not me. It, it, it's going to collapse because that's, that's just what has to happen. That's just the incentive structure. There, there's, there's no other way, even if Bitcoin didn't exist, that's exactly what it would do. Bitcoin speeds up that process, but it doesn't, Bitcoin's existence does not magically cause it to collapse. It, it was going to anyways. And so that's, that's what I'll be talking about in the movie. I'll be explaining energy. I'll be explaining the incentive structure of the current system and explaining the incentive structure of Bitcoin. And then what I view is most importantly as the human cost to that, because there is a very real human cost. There's a human cost to distorting money. And ultimately that's why I care about it so much. And that's, that's what people have a hard time understanding. They, they think the Bitcoiners are in this because they're all about getting rich quick and they're all about bringing down the system or whatever, or, you know, anti-government, whatever. And even though all that's partially true, at the end of the day, Bitcoin's a humanitarian effort. And I've said that before, but it's worth saying again that Bitcoin is the single largest humanitarian effort of the 21st century. Four million people every year die from a lack of cheap energy. Tens of millions of people are in totalitarian regimes like North Korea or, or certain people in China or elsewhere. Like There are billions of people without ability to have their own money, without property rights, without land rights. You know, it, it, We're talking about tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and perhaps even billions of people into the future. We're talking about hundreds of trillions of man hours that are wasted uh, for simply no reason, simply because we can't communicate properly. And that's, that's the beauty of this thing, that by improving the efficiency at which humans are able to communicate value, we can reduce the amount of needless suffering and needless premature deaths, particularly in the developing world. And so you asked about, we started this whole conversation with largest concerns for the world. And that's, that's my largest concern. I'm very concerned over the next couple of decades about, let's say, fear and hysteria and alarmism and panic. You know, if we look back the last couple of years with the whole virus crisis of 2020 onwards, it's the largest killer it was not the virus itself. The largest killer was our overreaction to it. And that that's ultimately the end of the day, that's my largest concern when it comes to, let's say, money and the decline of current forms of money. When it comes to energy and, and climate and negative externalities on climate, what's often called climate change, carbon emissions, pollution, all that, I, I'm, and then artificial intelligence, all these things. I'm, I'm most concerned about humans screwing things up. And I think there's a high probability, well, it's inevitable we will, and I think there's a high probability we will to a concerning degree. And so the Bitcoiners are out here saying, hey, you know, come to mathematical scarcity, come to objective reality, and hopefully slowly and steadily, we can reduce the incentive for people to act irrationally in short-term interests. And that's, that's why I care about the film. The film trying to raise $20,000 US, otherwise known as 60 million stats, <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking more accurately. And um, yeah, the, the, goal, the goal is to orange pill 20,000 people. So if you donate five bucks to the movie, hopefully you've orange pilled five people. And, you know, how many hours do we spend trying to orange pill folks? <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it's, you know, I won't 
tell people to donate because everyone has their own financial situation, but it like really it's aimed at being efficient and promoting adoption. And so I, I think if Bitcoiners want to find a place where they can invest in Bitcoin adoption, I hope that the film I deliver is a quality and substance enough that people feel that their money, their precious sets have been put to good use. So that's, that's the case for the case for Bitcoin, I suppose.